Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. This week, I'm excited to share a wonderful conversation I had with Dr. Katie Jane. Dr. Katie Jane is a religious scholar. She has taught Sanskrit and world religion at multiple universities. She has also developed a really successful online Sanskrit course, if you're interested in diving into that. And most recently, she is spreading light in the world with her um, Jyotisha practices. And so Jyotisha is the ancient Vedic science, really, the ancient yogic science of Vedic astrology. So looking at planetary alignment and how that uh, impacts our lives, impacts the world. Uh, our conversation I found to be insightful and joy-filled. We talk more about what Vedic astrology is, why it's important for each of our lives, as well as um, Katie offers us kind of a, a snapshot of what she sees in the coming years um, based on her knowledge of Vedic astrology. And so this is a joyful, wholehearted conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Katie Jane. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Wholehearted Healer. My name is Dr. Avine Banish, and I'm so grateful that you're here this week with me. You're in for a treat. Um, on the podcast today, I have as my guest, Dr. Katie Jane. Um, I met Dr. Katie Jane a couple years ago when I had my first uh, Vedic astrology reading with her, and I found her to be just so wonderfully joyful and uh, a wonderful teacher um, and gave me a lot of great insight. And so um, I'm really excited to introduce you to her today. Katie, welcome. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I love I love talking to members of the medical community at this potent moment of change, oh, astrologically, that I'm going to talk about today. <laughs> we'll get into all of that. I'm excited. I think yeah. maybe to begin, um, if you can just give us a little bit of background. You know, so you... You are what's considered a Jyotish, is that correct? Yes, um, Jyotishi. Okay. Uh, tec technically, that's the Sanskrit word for what I do. Um, more commonly translated as Vedic astrology, though that word astrology I, I take umbrage with because it doesn't really describe um, what Jyotisha is. Jyotisha means to shift your perspective to have an, have an insight into who you are and why you were born, according to the stars and planets above you at the time and location of birth. So we call that astrology, but it's it's much more than fortune telling or superstition, right? Right. <laughs> and I love it because it it also kind of locates us to a time and place and a part of the whole. It actually 
I feel elevates our lives because it, it kind of highlights that each of us are unique and important with, with work to do on this planet. Exactly. And, and I hate to use that overused word destiny, mm-hmm. but we all have an innate destiny. There's a certain pattern that unfolds that is leading to some kind of goal in our life. We all know it. We all feel it and observe it. It's just making sense of it, understanding how to work with it. That becomes, um, I, I think, an important contribution of Vedic astrology. And that it's really, truly such an ancient science. It's an ancient, advanced science. And that's really interesting because when we when we really get into Vedic astrology, we have to see it in the context of the Vedas, the tradition of knowledge that comes out of ancient India and, and how much it is like quantum physics. Jyotisha recognizes, Vedic astrology recognizes that the observer in the process of observing affects that which is observed. This is, this is what we do when we look at our Vedic chart. The observer is you, the seer, how you see yourself. And when you can see the goal of your life, oh yeah, this is what I'm here for. This is my, this is my destiny. This is my purpose. You can use your willpower, which is where you put your attention in the process of seeing manifest that goal. Anyway, that goal will manifest in its own uh, way, but you may not see it. You may see it in a way that causes you suffering. So Vedic astrology is called the eye of wisdom. It shifts the way that you see. From, from ignorance slash suffering to something that allows you to live a life of fulfillment. So it's such a beautiful description. And I think it's, it's really exciting. I, I've always been thrilled by the intersection of science and spirit. And I think we're yeah. living in this great momenting moment of what I call remembering. Cause it's, I think we've known it before. It's like we, we remember and then we forget, you know, across ages of time. And I feel like we're living at a, pretty exciting moment for that right now. We we truly are. And I'm calling what's coming up ahead in the next two and a half years, a mini age of Aquarius. And that is because the planet Saturn, who has been transiting the sign of Capricorn, this is sidereal Capricorn. So those of you into Western astrology may be scratching your head, huh? But Capricorn since 17th Jan 2020 has caused a a kind of replay of 1960, a big upheaval in the world. I mean, that's obvious. We've witnessed that. But what's coming ahead is another transition on 17th Jan 2023 when Saturn's going to enter sidereal Aquarius. And Aquarius, is is that symbol of an agrarian girl it's agrarian scene where a village girl goes to the well collects the water to bring back to her house without indoor plumbing or running water um and empties the content of the pot out except what comes out isn't water but air those thoughts that shape 
the the direction of humanity. So we see this over and over again with famous Aquarians like Abraham Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation or Karl Marx and the Communist Manifesto. These are all Aquarian kind of documents, Deepak Chopra, quantum healing, that go back to the past, the back to what worked in the past. If we're talking about medicine, what worked in the past are our grandmother's remedies. Mm-hmm. What worked in the past was was an integral balance with the earth. And that is what's going to save us in the future. And we're going to really see that in the next two and a half years. Like, okay, we got to do something about the environmental impact of our life. We and and that's the writing has been on the wall about that for so long, but now it reaches a point where it's a mass movement. Aquarius loves mass movement. Saturn loves mass movements. So it's a mass movement toward a, a kind of Aquarian ideal: equality, unity, going back to the past. That you know, going back to the village model. People are already doing it. And for someone perhaps listening who has never had a Vedic astrology reading, and and I just had, before we um, hopped onto this recording, I had an amazing reading with Dr. Katie Jane. (laughs) Can you just describe what, how you help people? So this is what's coming globally. And then everyone's chart is a little different. Can you explain that? Everyone's chart is a little different because everyone's born at different times and locations. Um, But what what Vedic astrology achieves in terms of really offering us some help at these moments of transition is a way to see ourselves in it all. Like I've just described something that's happening globally, but of course it's going to happen for each person individually. Mm -hmm. And it's really helpful strategically to know the lay of your own land. So what I mean by strategic is that in, in um, Vedic thought, we, we do possess free will. It's not like astrology means you don't have any free will. You have the free will to put your attention on any point in space. This is This is also that observer effect I just mentioned. So any point you can put your attention, your astrological chart, you know, it gets complicated how we cast it, how we interpret it. That's the science. That's that's mind blowing how they knew this way back in the Vedic civilization. But having your chart read or 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 studied gives you a strategic map to place your attention. So as we're coming into the age of Aquarius, this two and a half year mini age of Aquarius, when I was looking at your chart, Avin, I I saw what was going to transpire potentially and how best for you to make use of this in your own life. Like, you know, a lot of us allow our life to happen to us mm-hmm. and we're we're victims of fate or we could say, or we think we cause every single thing that happens to us. And I think the truth is in the middle a little bit that we're actually co-participants with a divine plan of which our life is a little bit of a part. 
that's that's a Vedic philosophy. So it, you know, having your chart read is is like receiving a big validation for what you already know inside, but need a little bit of you know extra push to say, oh yeah, that is me. This is what's happening to me. And this is where I can put my attention for a better outcome. Yeah, you mentioned something about it's kind of this dance between your your destiny or the life plan that's sort of laid out and and the action you can take within that destiny. Correct. Your, your Vedic astrological chart, your natal chart, gives us a portrait of two fundam- fundamental principles in Vedic thought. Your dharma, which is the reason you were born. All of us have a reason that we're born. Even the little flower in the field has a reason to be born. You know, every ant, every molecule, we are all here for a purpose. So that is our dharma. And our our natal chart gives us a really beautiful portrait of that, your, your most natural expression. and. It shows us all the things that happen to us that take us off our dharma, Mm -hmm. which is called karma. And karma exists in three forms. It exists as the karma that we're receiving from previous existences because our life is a continuum. We're not just here once. We we follow a river of, of life. And that's one kind of karma that we're responding to. Then we have our own karma, which is our free will. Humans have free will. I can stay up all night and eat pizza if I want. (laughs) And drink beer and watch bad TV. And I can do that. And I can do other things as well through the power of my attention. Attention is the most powerful thing we possess in terms of our action, in terms of, of, of shifting the experience of our karma that's destined, it's laid out in our chart. And then we have the future karma. So everything that we're performing in this lifetime has a destiny that will carry us to the next birth. And it's really interesting in Vedic astrology, when we read your chart, we can see your past life, your present, and where you're going in the next life. And how you can actually direct your life, your soul's journey to a much better incarnation. And that's really amazing. Like the Tibetan Buddhists, they, they, they do these practices to remember their previous birth when they get the new body. That, that, that is a technology that these civilizations possess that has a benefit for, I think, the goal you could say, well, what's the point of all this? The point of it is um, evolution, growth, uh, uh, transformation in, until you can outshine this human experience and become a higher being, light being. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, in looking at your chart and in just kind of sitting in that larger sense of time. You know, like if you're having a really hard time or if you've been going through if it feels like the last few weeks or the last few months have just been a slog for you. That 
that scope, that perception of this larger time can be very comforting that it, everything you're in this river and that things are flowing and, and the only constant is change. Yes. And it can be very comforting. Most of my clients come to me when they're at a big transition in life and we all go through them and they, they don't, they know one thing is ending and they don't know what's coming. And I believe that it can give so much comfort to be able to look at the change for what it can bring you in, in terms of the highest possibility. And all of us have that, even the worst situation has something that we can use to, to rescue our, our emotional and spiritual state from being pulled under into, into um, devastating despair. It reminds me of that Viktor Frankl quote, between, stimuli, between stimulus and response, um, there lies our freedom, right? So it, it is that we can, it's really our perception of our lives and how we can live that, like the best or highest version of our life. Fully. And since you brought up Viktor Frankl, one of my heroes, I'm going to bring another one in from him. The light of a match once lit changes the darkness forever. Mm. To me, that is the tagline of what you get out of Vedic astrology. Jyotisha means jyoti is, is a sudden is a sudden moment of recognition, an aha moment, a tiny light that may extinguish, but because you've seen that light, because you've seen, oh yeah, that is me. That is why I'm here. That 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 is my my purpose. That's why all this stuff has happened to me. That's the huh, changes your life forever. At least it did for me when I was 20 and I had my first Vedic reading with um, Chakrapani Ulal, who I have to mention because he was uh, a lineage holding Jyotishi from India who brought Vedic astrology to the West. We can really credit him. He's passed away now. But when I was 20, I had my first reading with him in Los Angeles and it did. It changed my whole life. You have such a fascinating story, Katie. I wonder if you can just, uh, you know, it's, it's this, I always love to kind of delve into how did you get here? You know, um, <laughs> you were born in California. Is that correct? I was not born in California. I was born in a small town in Massachusetts oh, called wow. Holden. Okay. Holden, Mass. And, and, you know, we're a very religious town. You know why? Why? Because we're always holding mass. <laughs> Nice. That's a that's a town joke. So if if you were like on this podcast, you could put like ha, like like a fake audience laughter at that moment. The laugh track. But, but no, I was born I was born in a town in um, Massachusetts. My parents um, were refugees uh, from World War II. They were children in the war and went through all kinds of atrocities and. Um, they came because of a quota from the United States where they were allowing a certain number of refugees in kind of like now with the situation with Ukraine. Yep. Um, my parents came in 1959. That's interesting. 
It's a 60 year, it's a 60 year cycle. And, you know, they were alone. All their, all their family had been killed in, in the war and scattered and dispersed. So, and displaced. So my father formed um, his community, his family with our church mm-hmm. and the church it was such a great church growing up with. I don't have any of that Catholic guilt. I grew up with the United Church of Christ, the the Congregationalists, who I think mostly exist in New England, but they're very, very open and they do a lot of service. And um, the the pastor was a civil rights activist and he was really close with Martin Luther King Jr. and and marched in the you know, in those um, demonstrations. And so he he was really a Gandhian at heart because Martin Luther King got all of his knowledge from Gandhi, nonviolence. And um, so he would talk about India in church and how India received its independence, won its independence without firing a single bullet. And I had grown up with I was eight at the time, and I had heard all these horror stories of my family, my grandparents, everybody. And I paid attention to this. I this is India. Wow, you could win a, a, a fight without killing anybody. And and that I remember saying to my father one day, I am going to India, Daddy. I am going to find. I'm going to find out about this place. A little bit ahead, um, my senior year in high school, it's just right around this time, Labor Day, I was entering my senior year in high school, and um, some kids came to to pick me up to go to a keg party. Actually, they were going to steal a keg of beer. And I would have been down for that. I wasn't an angel in high school, but I somehow I decided not to go. And that night... Um, uh, seven of my friends were killed in this drunk driving accident that I should have been in the car. Like uh, the seat I should have occupied was smashed in and my, my very best friend was killed. And, and it really, it changed me. It's like, if you ever saw that movie, the razor's edge with Bill Murray, um, when he goes to world war one and all his friends die and he's like, why them and not me? That is so much how I felt. I was like, how come I lived and everybody's getting ready to go to college. You're going to study journalism or engineering or whatever. And everyone's like, Katie, what do you want to study? And I was so depressed. I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know if I should even be here. And one of my, teachers, my English teacher gave me a copy of a book that changed my life. And this was autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, the spiritual classic that that revolutionized the world. He he brought yoga to the world with this book. And I read it cover to cover. I devoured this book and especially this figure of Babaji um, who had this idea, who, who had this mission, this immortal yogi who lives in the Himalayas has this mission for the world that yoga should spread to all corners. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happened. But when I read that book, I was like, okay, I, I think I need to go to the Himalayas. I need to find myself. I need to find why I lived and everybody else died. 
and that started my journey. I, I did a few semesters of college and I dropped out and, and got, bought a one-way ticket to Nepal. I, I waitressed to get the money. Gosh. And because I thought I would meet this Babaji in Nepal and, and he would teach me about the meaning of life because <laughs> it was the Himalayas. Right. And, and instead I ended up living with a Brahmin family and I got exposed to Sanskrit and Sanskrit chanting, chanting of the Vedas that brought me so much inner peace listening to that I was like, I, this is what I want to study. I want to learn about how we connect with the divine. And that led me to UC Santa Barbara, to the religious studies department, which is the best in the world, Santa Barbara. <laughs> I love, I such amazing professors, such amazing school. And that, that got me into religious studies and Sanskrit and many, many research trips to India that, you know, formed my, my, formed the, the part of my life where I was thirsting for knowledge. Um, it should be noted too, if someone is listening who has not ever chanted or looked at Sanskrit, Sanskrit is an incredibly complex language to learn. <laughs> and it's so easy. They teach little kids four years old how to okay. chant it because you don't in the Vedic way of learning, you don't, um, you don't have a subject ob object split like you do when you're, you're made to read and write. There's a subject of in, in Vedic learning, you listen and repeat like they do in Waldorf school, you know, you, or, or in a Suzuki method of learning piano, you listen and you repeat. And you do that for 12 years of your education. You learn hundreds and hundreds of thousands of combinations of sounds that teach you mathematics, that teach you grammar, that teach you history. Um, all kinds of knowledge comes to you just by repeating the Vedas. It's an incredible system of education that lasted at least 10,000 years unbroken. Up until the 19th century, the Vedas were only orally transmitted. So, so this was, you know, a very exciting thing for me when I encountered Sanskrit for the first time, because I heard it being chanted by the uh, host father of the family I lived in. He was instructing his little boy in, in how to be a priest, how to chant the Sanskrit. and. I would sit outside the door and listen to this and feel like my whole body and soul just enter such a state of peace, a peace I hadn't felt ever in my life, having grown up with so much turmoil. And then the crowning moment when I graduated high school, it was like that moment of listening to Sanskrit just opened my whole world. And then, of course, everyone's like, what are you going to do with a degree in religious studies in Sanskrit? <laughs> and what did you do, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> so much. This is this is should be an encouragement for all of you would be entrepreneurs out there. I created a business. I started off as a professor and I my first my first assignment, I, I, I call it um, 
a reverse missionary, I like being helicoptered in or parachuted into a small Methodist college in Iowa. And I loved it for the kids, like, because I was so exotic and the things that I taught them, I was the Hinduism, Buddhism and Islam professor. And, um, you know, that was very meaningful, but I didn't feel like I wanted to be a professor anymore. I wanted to, to, to share what I learned and what I experienced uh, with, with a larger audience. So I became an entrepreneur and all the Sanskrit study that I did, you said it, Oh, it's so complicated and difficult. Uh (laughs) I said, okay, okay, friends, I will make it really easy. I will teach it to you the way that it's taught traditionally to children in India. And I created a course called Sanskrit for yogis. And I, and at that time, yoga was taking off. Yoga teacher trainings were were really popular. And I was living in Colorado and I taught all over the Western United States and, and in some international places. It was it was really a big focus. And I got into Vedic astrology as a hobby. So my business teaching Sanskrit allowed me to 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 kind of night as a night job or as a what they call a side hustle now. But Vedic astrology came to me as a hobby. I just got re- I read some books because it was in alignment with what I'd studied and I was like, "Wow, this is so fascinating." Then my sister was getting laid off from a, a position uh working for some company. Her whole division in fact was being laid off. And it was all a division of all these women, seven of them. And my sister said, Katie, since you're studying this astrology stuff, can you read the charts of of all of me and all my friends and tell us like what's coming up next? Because we're we're freaking out. We're losing our job. And I was like, "Okay, I'm a beginner, but I'll do it. So I read the chart of these seven women. They were all cancer rising women. They all had the same rising star, which blew my mind. And and that since has repeated itself many times. Birds of a feather do flock together. Family units, friends, we all have these deep connections. And um, those women, because they were in marketing and communication, they told two friends. And they told two friends and so on and so on and so on. And then next thing you know, I don't have to teach in university anymore. I'm I'm a full-time Jyotishi. That's amazing. <laughs> and 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 it is amazing because for me it it has been a wonderful application of all of the knowledge that I gained in university and in India with with teachers and and masters in a way that is personal for people. I'm not teaching you about Hinduism. I'm teaching you about who you are as a soul incarnate. And that to me is the real purpose of religion. Mm-hmm. So so Vedic astrology has been such a beautiful way for me to reach a much, much bigger audience and help a lot of people, I hope over the last 20 years. Well, you're certainly gifted at it, Katie. And I, I really feel like you've, you've stepped into your calling. I know you've helped me and a number of my friends. Um, 
you know, I call this podcast the wholehearted healer because I'm really interested in this moment in time to talk with people who, despite, you know, this feeling sometimes that systems are crumbling or ending, um, people who can show up fully and with an open heart still, and you, you strike me as someone who does that. Is there any precedent in Vedic astrology for, I mean, can you speak to that at all or how you practice that? Yeah. I mean, we all have a role, right? We all have things that we're, we're here to, to contribute to the whole. And what, what amazed me about the pandemic are the people who came out to the front and started leading Mm -hmm. and, and the kinds of, of, of offerings that were being made in the pandemic shifted people's lives. I mean, I know from my own work, like I was so depressed. I was, I was recently remarried. I was living with my new Indian mother-in-law in, in, in the Delhi region and the lockdown was announced and we were there four months. Mm-hmm. And the first couple of weeks there, I was so depressed because we, we couldn't even leave the house. And I was like, what the hell just happened? We just lost all our business. We were on a retreat center. And um, what are we going to do? And then um, I saw a video by another wonderful wholehearted healer. He is a saint uh, in India from Mumbai from Maharashtra by the name of Dada Shri and Dada just means a friend. And he had a video where he said, don't waste this time. This time will never come again. This is, this is the time to go deep in meditation, to go deep in your spiritual experience and come out and offer the fruits of that. And I heard that and I was like, okay, I'm a soldier. I'm ready for this. <laughs> like I can do it. And and the people I've touched are now trained. I trained a whole bunch of new Jyotishis because I had such a demand because of these moments of transitions, like, like 2020. Mm-hmm. And now I'm flooded. I can't do so many personal readings. So I trained an army of about 20 really great qualified people who, who practice Jyotisha like I do, and now they're helping people. So I feel like I doubled or quadrupled myself. And, and I think that a lot of healers who have been training decades, yogis who have been training and people haven't understood what you're doing, you're a Reiki healer, or you're a uh, an aura reader, an energy reader, or your, you know, whatever woo you practice. Um, now, as we transition into the dawning of the mini age of Aquarius in 2023, this isn't so much woo anymore. In fact, a lot of this is, is going to be embraced full, full on by the mainstream. Um, And so for the wholehearted (laughs) healers out there, this is an exciting moment because if you feel like nobody's gotten me or I I haven't gotten any traction or, or I can never come out at work. Like, you know, when, when I was a scholar, when I was studying Sanskrit, 
my Sanskrit teacher, Professor Gerald Larson, he was such a hard ass. He would like if you smelled of incense, like burned incense to meditate in the morning before coming to school, he'd be like, you're not practicing any of this, are you? It's like you can relate. You're a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. You, I can relate. You know, you're not doing it. You're not certainly believing in any of this stuff, are you? And of course, all, we all were. Why else would we be sitting there studying Sanskrit? We're not we're not masochists. And if we are, we'll go and study nuclear physics or calculus or something. I mean, Sanskrit. We're there because we're seekers of deep truth. And and yet so many of us have had to go underground. And now we get to surface. It's just like the folk movement in America, the beat movement in America. It was underground until the 60s. And then it became the the singer-songwriter movement in Laurel Canyon, California. Like it it made folk music, Bob Dylan. It it brought that tradition into the popular consciousness. It's kind of the same thing. There's a groundswell. Uh, a, a tsunami of wholehearted healers ready to blast into the popular space. And, and they already have 2020. I think people, people who have that kind of ability have, have prospered. It's a really beautiful vision of a coming future. You also mentioned when we were chatting before about how, you know, there's this parallel that you see between um, the 60s and the decade that we're in. Can you speak? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so, it's so, 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 so interesting. Um, so what, it, what an astrologer does is study patterns. So the, the night sky is repeatable like the movements in the night sky repeat over and over and over again and and these repetitive patterns have been recorded by astrologers for thousands and thousands of years what happens when saturn moves in this sign of aquarius at the same time that that pluto transits the sign of capricorn we get a repeat of what happened the last time we have this transit. And this is one of the benefits of getting older. You can see this in your life as well that, oh yeah, I've been down this, this road before. This isn't my first rodeo. I, and that, that's also when people call me, they're like, Katie, I'm in a pattern. Yep. How can I get off this wheel? So, so here we are 60 years past 1960, and this is a 60-year cycle that repeats. 60 years before six, 1960 was 1920, which was also a, an epic, epic uh, de- uh, start to a, a, a evolutionary decade. So in 1960, we saw, like, of course, a big social, political, scientific, um, artistic revolution. And that was based on Aquarian principles, make love, not war. Let's get back to the earth, man. Tune in, turn on and drop out, whatever the order is of that, you know. (laughs) And, And there's 
we have to remember that that decade was defined by a horde of young people known as the baby boomers. 2020, we're seeing the coming of age of the baby boom boom. We're seeing a, a, a generation of children who are so much like the 1960s generation. They are into consciousness. They are into exploring the mind. This is what Web3 is going to be all about, the virtual reality space, the what the mind can achieve, healing the mind, mental health. They're spiritual seekers. I, I mentioned autobiography of a yogi. In India, uh, which has the one of the largest populations of people under the age of 30, um, autobiography of a yogi has become a national bestseller. Again. This is a again. Wow. And this is a book that was published, what, 1950? That's... I mean, it, it it's astounding. But and they it's fresh to them. Yoga is fresh to them, meditation is fresh to them, just like it was in 1960. It's like, wow, this 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 is possible. We can we can achieve um such advanced states of consciousness, and they are like this when you meet them these young people. And what it, what's happening is they're coming of age. Mm -hmm. So 2020 is when they're starting to come of age. I think like technically they're called Gen Z. So the millennials are, are done now. Millennials are now in their, they're starting to be in their forties, right? So now the torch has passed as president Kennedy said to a new generation and ask not what, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. That's what these kids are like. They're, they're, they're movers and shakers. They're, they're activists. They want everybody included at the table. They're Aquarians. So, so we see a repeat of the generational profile. We see a repeat of fashions, like, high-waisted jeans are back in who knew mom jeans like all the girls would wear them and look fabulous in them and I even want I even bought a pair <laughs> um you know so there's that on uh, 1960 we had the election of the first Catholic president John F. Kennedy we have the second in 2020 Catholic president Joseph Biden and they have very very similar um uh, aspirations for the young generation. Biden won because of, I mean, not not only because people were, um, uh, you know, kind of done with the previous administration, but because he promised so many things for the youth, and and he's starting to bring those out. So, like Kennedy brought out the Peace Corps, we're going to see some more things like this happening. Um, we may see a similar Bay of Pigs incident that happened. Russia is now our enemy again. The Cold War ended with Gorbachev. And now we're back again with, with this kind of iron curtain separating the world, which probably is only going to escalate. This is my prediction. Please don't take me at gospel truth or anything, but I don't think President Biden is going to survive his term if we're looking at a repeat of history. President Kennedy was shot in 1963 in November. 
perhaps Biden doesn't make it. And then we have the um, succession of the appointment of our next president, who is the embodiment of the Aquarian ideal. She is the little girl at the well, uh, Kamala Harris. I mean, she is that agrarian symbol of, of, of anybody can be president. If a, if a girl, if an immigrant who had a single mother, which is all of our story in Gen X, um, can one day be president and, and that too, a woman of color, um, that's that despite whatever you think of her politics, that is um, the image of of the next age. Um, women will lead in all fields. The 1960s, what did we have? We had the birth of the pill, the ending. See, we're going back, back, back alley abortions. No more. Right. So we have that same protest. We have women's movement coming up. And women occupying positions of power across the board in politics and healing and health and um, technology, science, commerce, uh, entrepreneurship. So, so that's my prediction. I mean, I think, you know, we saw the, the landing of the astronauts on the moon in the Kennedy administration. We're going to see the landing of, of astronauts on Mars before the end of the decade. So many parallels. Yeah, and the, the the sweeping vision, sort of the you know the vision from the uh, the treetops rather than down on the ground, is just fascinating to me. So um, I think you've given um, the listeners a lot to think about, and I'm just wondering. Um, I know you are heading back to India soon, right? Tomorrow, as soon as tomorrow. Uh, he, uh, no, thank God, don't scare me. I'm not going back till Thursday. Um, yeah, I'm so I'm so much looking forward to the other half of the world and my other half of my life. <laughs> I'm I'm a lucky feet person in Vedic astrology, so I always have one foot one foot in one part of the world and one foot in the other. That's yep, that's a really fascinating trait on your chart. And I'm wondering if someone's listening and you've really piqued their curiosity and they want to learn more, I will definitely link to your website. Yes. Um, I'm, I know that you're quite busy with readings. Do you have a link on your website to some of those new Jyotishi who you've trained? Um, that I haven't set up yet, but um, people can sign up to be on my waiting list. And I do open my calendar as many times as I can throughout the year. And it's first come, first serve. So grab it fast. They go fast. Um, and if you really want to get into reading your chart before then, I just have have finished uh, teaching a course that I'm going to be offering as an evergreen course on how to read your Vedic chart. So it's it you you get a a, a little tool to cast your chart, and then the the class walks you through reading the first step of the most important part of your chart, which is identifying your rising sign and your planetary ruler to help understand your dharma, your, your life purpose. So I can give you the link to that. And that might, you know, wet the appetite um, until, until people can connect with me personally. Well, and I highly recommend um, a reading with Dr. Katie Jane. She is so engaging and um, really gives 
just tremendous insight um, and a new perspective on how to look at what you're going through. So Katie, I want to thank you so much for your time today, for your enthusiasm, for your wisdom. Thank you for um, being a guest on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks to everybody who, who listened to the end. Have a wonderful and safe trip back to India. Thanks so much. Look forward to the next time we connect. Absolutely. Thank you.